Well, welcome to Grace this morning. My name is Nick Stolnos. I'm the assistant pastor here. If you're visiting with us, I want to say especially to welcome you. If you see that blue card in front of you, you can go ahead and fill that out and drop it in the little box in the back on your way out. We'd love a chance to get to know you uh, more personally, get you information about the church. Just a few things to mention before uh, we have our call to worship. So many of you know we have a Saturday food ministry that is a long-standing ministry and uh, evidently we've got some prepared meals and we've got some left over. So if that is something that uh, you uh, need, uh, feel free to contact the office this week. They'll be available as long as we have supply and we want to be able to help families in need in our community and even in our church community. Also, we are still in need of some Sunday school assistance. Uh, one of our policies, especially with, with children and with youth, is that we have two adults uh, in the rooms down there. That is uh, to help the class, to help the students, to help everyone. So if that's something that you might be interested in, contact me, and I'd be glad to get you set up with that. We have a special youth group tonight. Woody Waddell, one of our elders, is coming to share his testimony. I'm looking forward to that. So if you have a 6th through 12th grader and you would love to have them come and join the youth group and hear a good testimony tonight, it's great when the students get to hear from others in the church besides me. I love to teach them, but I love to give them an opportunity to get to know others. Also, we've got a young adults group happening tomorrow night at our house. So if you're interested in that, it's at 7 o'clock. I'd be happy to tell you more about that. And that is all I've got for announcements announcements this morning. So, uh, before the call to worship, let's pray together and then we will have the Lord's Prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this time that you have gathered us together, that you have brought us through another week into the point of a new week. And we're starting it with you. Thank you, Lord, that we are in the right place. Thank you that we are gathered with your people to worship you, to sing your praises, to pray, to acknowledge that you are our Lord and our God. So we ask for your help this morning by your grace, and we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And receive now, hear now, the call to worship, God calling you and me to worship him. From Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Again, a familiar passage there from John 4. You may be seated, and if you would, take your bulletin, and this morning I want you to follow along with us as we share together in our confession of faith and our confession of sin. Uh, as you noticed, we've been journeying this year through the Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism together, and so I will read the question, and if you would, 
join me and as a group, a body together in reading the answers to the shorter catechism. Question 13 asks, did our first parents continue in the estate wherein they were created? Our first parents, being left to the freedom of their own will, fell from the estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or the transgression of the law of God. What was the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created? The sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created was their eating the forbidden fruit. It's amazing that one disobedience has led us on the journey of an entire history of God bringing his people back to himself. And I encourage you this morning, whatever the sin you've committed directly, not just our inherited guilt, not just our original sin, but whatever it is you have done, be able to bring that to God, to be able to confess it, to know that he forgives you and that he cleanses you. That's what he's been doing. And so let's come together and confess our sins together as a body, not just to one another, but with one another at the throne of grace. And so if you would, it's lengthy. It is a prayer. So please don't just read it together. I pray that as we share it, uh, it will also become that which is felt in your heart. Pray with me. Almighty God, we confess before you that we leave a great outstanding debt. We do not love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we fail to love our neighbor as if he or she were our own flesh. Yet, O oh God, even when we have recognized our failings, instead of turning in repentance to the grace of Christ, we turn to ourselves. Instead of remembering our weakness, we foolishly believe that we have the strength in our own flesh to obey your commands. Instead of resting in Christ as our acceptance before you and relying on the Holy Spirit's power at work in us, we trust ourselves and therefore try to gain your grace by our obedience. Forgive our sin, Lord God, through your Son, have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out our transgressions. Wash away our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Clothe us with your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, that we may rely upon him and him alone for all things and fill us with the joy that comes from knowing the forgiveness of our sins, so that we may obey out of gratitude for your great love. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And you know, when you come to the throne of grace, the Gospels are full of scriptures everywhere that remind us that we have a God who doesn't hold the sin against us when we confess it, who is willing and ready as his Holy Spirit leads us back into his presence to prepare us. And so that we have nothing to fear when we come into his presence. And Paul writes in Romans to remind us, For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a blessing to know that your sin is not great enough unless unrepentant, unforgiven, and not dealt with. Nothing can separate you from God. I pray you brought your Bibles along with you so that you could follow along as we've been studying together uh, through Nehemiah. It's an important understanding as we start working through the book that we're not just talking about rebuilding a marriage. We're not just talking about rebuilding a career. We're not just talking about rebuilding a church. What we're actually talking about when it comes to rebuilding is leadership. What we're talking about is how do you handle what it is God has given you. Nehemiah is a wonderful, wonderful memoir for us to follow along and to see what does great leadership really look like. Because when it comes to the process of rebuilding, we're unable to rebuild if there is not good leadership. Now, we all have to assume leadership at times in our life. I'm not talking about the one person. There's different roles of leadership even within your own home. Folks, hear me clearly. God has ordained an established order for the home. It does not mean that there are not delegated responsibilities in leadership for you to share, for you to work together with, and for you to accomplish things together. It's no different in a career, a business, or in the church. We have an biblically ordained order in which we want to follow so that we can support the purity and peace of all things that God has created. But in order to rebuild and get them done right, we need godly leadership. We need to know how to rebuild and get things back together. Here in chapter 3 of the book of Nehemiah, you're going to be bored. Most, uh, uh, I would say, commentators have just skipped right on over this, and many have even admitted it in their commentaries, have said, you know what, there's not a lot there, there's rebuilding, but they're names, and you'll never see these names again. And others have dove in so deep into it that they've tried to preach on every individual name that's mentioned. Bear with me, and just listen to three things I want to speak to you about when it comes to godly leadership and delegation. What I've titled stepping back without stepping out is many times shared in things like this, letting go without letting up. You see, when it comes to true leadership, so many of us either live as dictators or we abdicate and just get out and run away. We, it's either our way or no way, our way or hit the highway. We've lived in a culture that has taught us through our emotions that we can accomplish what we need by how we act. People around us will follow our actions. But let me give you three things real quick. You can write these down. Think about these as I read to you through chapter 3 of Nehemiah. Good godly leadership and delegation takes organization, takes coordination, and takes cooperation. If you're trying to rebuild in your life, you're trying to get things reestablished, delegation is the key to quality rebuilding. But now listen carefully, bear with me as I quickly read, because it is God's word. Eliashib, the high priest, rose with his brothers, the priests. They built the sheep gate, they consecrated and set its doors, they consecrated as far as the tower of a hundred, 
as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built, the, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hesanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams, they set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok. Now just bear with me in fairness to the words as I run through this for you to catch it. I'm going to go from verse to verse quickly with the points. And next to them, the the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve. Joida, he was there to repair the gate. He laid the beams and set its doors. And next to them, Melatai, the Gabonite, they too, the governor in the province. Next to them, Uzziel. Next to them, Hananiah. Next to them, Raphiah, the son of Hur. Next to them, Jediah. Melchiah, the son of Hiram, verse 12, next to them, Shalom, the son of Hulab, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem. Right out there in the margins of your Bible, politicians. Verse 14, Malkijah, the son of Richard, ruler of the district of Beth Hesherim. He rebuilt and set its doors. Shalom, the son of Polazah, ruler of the district of Mizpah. Verse 16, after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbek, the hall, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool, the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites even repaired. Verse 18, it was after him, the brothers repaired with their sons, ruler half the district of Kila. Verse 20, after them, Baruch, the son of Zabel, repaired another section. Verse 21, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, repaired another section. And after him, the priests, the men of the surrounding areas, repaired. Benjamin and Hassab repaired opposite their houses. You'll notice this in many of the stases, opposite their house. Verse 24, Benai, the house of Azariah, to the corner. Verse 26, the temple servants were living. Verse 27, after that, the Tokites repaired another section. They did even more than what they were asked. Verse 28, above the horse gate, the priests repaired each one opposite his house. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shephahunnah, the sixth, the son of Zilpah, repaired another section. Verse 31, one of the goldsmiths repaired the wall. The goldsmiths. Verse 32, between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Now, as you know, you can get caught up in all kinds of names and the activities. Again, I want to remind you, organization, coordination, and cooperation. It's amazing that the names that we mention here as I get in this morning to share with you the importance of leadership and how it is that you can step back without stepping completely out of the picture comes to understanding what Nehemiah teaches about delegation. It may take longer than just this week and maybe a part two for us to understand the importance of true leadership. If you are in a leadership position, men, beyond the boundaries of your home, women, because you're the leader of your home, there is no 
other one to be the leader. Whatever it is in your workplace, at your church, in your community, if you're in leadership, listen carefully that many and most of these names that are mentioned in the rebuilding and the restructuring for God to accomplish his purposes are never mentioned again in Scripture. There is a time and there is a place ordained by God for you to be used to accomplish his purpose. And it doesn't always have to be like a Moses or a Josiah or an Abraham. There are so many that help us accomplish the purposes of the kingdom of God who will never be mentioned again. Let me say to you clearly this morning that maybe you could take a moment and think of the person in your life that was such an influence as you grew up. Maybe you could recall the person in your life that helped channel you in the right directions to overcome the sins that you were bogged down with to take care of the frustrations that were causing you many hurts. Maybe you can remember the person who led you in the first Bible study, presented to you the first time the gospel message. And maybe you can only remember them because you never saw them much after that point in life. You see, it's amazing how God brings people together. And Nehemiah responding to the call of God, now goes back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem to do exactly what God has told him and was not given the names of the people who would be there to help him. He went in obedience and realized that God had master-planned an opportunity for them to bring glory to God. Maybe you need to be the person that someone else needs, though you may never see them Again, you might be able to share the gospel message. You might be able to give them the meal. You might be able to give them the encouragement, the direction, and the hope that will change their life forever, even if you never see them again. You see, when it comes to leadership and rebuilding, without having to step completely out, stepping back, letting God do the things God wants to do, letting others have a place in it, we realize that many of our gifts, Ephesians chapter 4, you can write it down, 1 Corinthians and Romans both have sections where we learn about the gifts of the body of Christ, that each and every one of us have been gifted by God to use our gifts however God has planned them. And in the process of rebuilding, Nehemiah gives us chapter 3, which to many would gloss right over, okay, I got it, a bunch of people worked, and you miss the importance that each person called by God, designated for a responsibility, put under the leadership of Nehemiah in order to do exactly what God had set for Nehemiah to do. Your task is not unimportant, whatever it is. Your job does not go unnoticed in the kingdom courts. What happens this morning here in Nehemiah chapter 3 allows for us to see the importance of what an Old Testament church in action looks like. When the people work together side by side, accomplishing tasks, some more than they need, others in areas they didn't think they were able. To have even politicians side by side with goldsmiths and to have the priests give up their priestly duties for a chance 
to put together some brick and mortar so that the body of Christ is pictured. You see, the process of rebuilding, as we have said already, is so much more than just what you want. It's an opportunity to glorify God through his body and use those gifts. Now, I would be wrong if I didn't tell you there are some who have a special gift. And they are the ones that have the gift of always criticizing, complaining, and critiquing. Yes, we will always have those. But here, Nehemiah shows us that he found a way even to keep them busy so that the process can go forward. He didn't allow them to stop the process. There may be someone in your life this morning as we move forward that no matter what you do, you feel like you're being criticized. No matter what happens, you feel like you're being critiqued. And no matter what you do, you feel like they're going to complain. Don't let it stop the rebuilding process in your life. Nothing can hinder you from accomplishing what God has called for you to rebuild, working together with your gifts. Delegation. We've got to be able to step back without stepping out. We've got to be able to let go without letting up with a passion and a desire to see it happen. It's not a new concept for Nehemiah. It goes clear back to the days, as you remember, with Jethro, who showed up, Moses' father-in-law, because the people were lined up trying to get their issues dealt with Moses. And Jethro was the one that lined up and said, son, let me give you a bit of advice. You're a great man of God, but you're being a horrible leader. You're a great man of God, but you can't do this by yourself. You've got to delegate leaders. You've got to get people to help you. And the responsibility, you've got to trust God that when you disciple someone else, he can still get as much glory from them as he does from you. You see, sometimes we think we're the only way we can make it happen. Even in our careers, folks, we're losing the whole concept of apprenticeship. Each year that goes by, we're losing apprentices. People no longer work with the experts. People no longer seem to come under the care of the one who actually knows it. Now in the medical field, it's different because people are forced to have their study time and their year of residence and learning alongside somebody. Wouldn't it be nice if every air conditioning installer and repairman had to have an apprenticeship? Wouldn't it be nice if every person that worked on your car had worked on a superior mechanic, at least for a period of time? Wouldn't it be nice if the lady checking out your groceries was at least trained on the machines to keep things smooth and active for a period of time with someone over them? But we live in a generation that says this, I don't need anyone else. I know more than them. There's nothing for me to learn. And in the process, not only have we lost delegation, we've lost discipleship. When you delegate to your children chores, you disciple them. When you allow your children to work alongside you and see what you do, you disciple them. And eventually you delegate to them. Because one day you have to trust God will work through them. Just as he's worked through you. 
So Nehemiah takes us on the journey. It wasn't just with Jethro. Jesus did it in the sending of the, uh, or the calling of the 12, the sending out of the 70, or even the feeding of the 5,000 folks. Jesus didn't do it all. The master of the universe trusted others to do his work. He's trusting you to do his work. He's trusting that we can be successful if we learn to be godly leaders. But if you can never learn to delegate, you'll never learn to rebuild. You'll never learn to be completely successful. And what you have accomplished will completely come to an end. For every business, for every family practice, for every mom and pop shop, that does not disciple, have apprentices, or have the vision to delegate and share with others will one day come to a complete end. If the kingdom of God was not entrusted to the servants of God, we would have long been ended. It's amazing what we learn from Nehemiah. Here it is, delegating. It's not dictating. Write this down. It's not dictating. For some who believe delegation is dictating, it's because they've never learned how to let go or, if you wish to say, let up. They've never learned to step back or step out. These are the people that want to control it all. They want to micromanage everything. Every decision has to be through them. It has to be their way. Everything has to be approved and done. You live in a realm in which the microcosm is so tight, nobody actually wants to move or do anything. Everybody understands what it's like to be with a dictator. We have them around the world. We sometimes have them in our own homes. But for some, they need to realize dictators are the ones that you have to ask yourself, man, wait a minute. Where's the encouragement? Where's the opportunity? How do we grow? But sometimes it's the opposite extreme. It's not about dictating. It's the abdicating. It's the just banking out of it. Sometimes we get leaders who pretty much step back and step out. They pretty much want to say, you know what, the church needs some elders, and so let's have elders, and then they're out of the picture. I can give you proof, if you want, of a church we planted and spent years, built its own buildings, had land given to us, a wonderful church and established that within only two pastors after we left, died, closed its doors, And one of the main reasons, because when you asked the pastor what he was doing to keep up with the people, do you know what his answer was? That's not my job. What is your job? You see, sometimes we find those who pretty much say, well, I want to delegate so I don't have to do anything. And that's the opposite extreme of dictating. We've got to find the happy medium here with Nehemiah when he teaches us what a leader really is. Someone who does not neglect responsibility. Someone who is not afraid to exercise some control and accountability. Folks, Jesus himself, the master teacher, as put out by Robert E. Coleman, the master evangelist, was not afraid to inspect what he expected. If you remember in the parable of the talents, it was Jesus who delegated five, three, and one, as the gospel writers tell them. And he said, I want you to go and I want you to use this. And I want you to do whatever you can to further my kingdom. Do you remember what the response was? He didn't just let it go and never check up. We don't get the outcome that one took the five and built a master you know, uh, hotel system and one that took the three and went into all kinds of physical fitness and journeying of, uh, you know, opportunities for people to buy into and franchises and one that just sat on it. We don't hear that. You know what we hear? 
is that Jesus came back to hold them accountable. He came back to the individual and said, what did you do with the five talents I gave you? And then he went to the one that only had three. What did you do with that which I gifted you? And when he got to the one with the one, do you remember what happened? Lord, I took what you gave me, so important that I hid it, buried it, and kept it safe. And do you remember what God did? He took the talent away and gave it to the one who was the faithful steward. Sometimes you may have to ask yourself in life, why did God allow this to happen? Why did I have to lose my home, my job, my friends? Why did my family walk away? Why did my church quit on me? Sometimes the question's not far away from being answered. God has entrusted you and delegated to you the gifts that he's given you to further his kingdom. Be careful. Be careful. Nehemiah even tells us now, what does it mean to have true delegation? Let me run through this quickly. Keep up with me if you can. First of all, we said it was organization. He's the master delegation through keeping tasks clearly defined and organized. Nehemiah knew the task was to rebuild the walls. He didn't get caught up in all the sideshows. He didn't get caught up in the local neighborhood disputes. He didn't get caught up in the land disputes. He didn't get caught up in the sacrifices for the priests. He didn't get caught up in the rituals that needed to take place. He stayed focused in the organization and made it clearly drawn out what was expected. He had inspected the walls. He went down to see what was needed. He gathered together the people. And he took those that were willing and able to work. Isn't this amazing that the goldsmiths were laying brick? The priests were hanging gates. You can go down the list and learn for the names of the people. It's an amazing that in verse 13, listen to this in Nehemiah 3.13, Hanum and the inhabitants of Zenoah. Folks, this is the person we learned from in the book of Ezra was someone who had been married to an outsider and had fallen apart and his marriage had been settled and over and done with. He was seen as not being right. Even he did not allow the mistakes and the sin in his life to keep him from going forward and rebuilding in the kingdom of God. Maybe you're here this morning because you've made mistakes. Things in your life have failed. You've fallen. And you feel like you can no longer be used. God's not going to have a way for you. And you hide yourself back. You no longer want to be in the front because you don't want your life to become an open book. So I have to admit my failures and overcome the sins. I don't want to have to go through that again. And yet here we're reminded that when it comes to rebuilding, God can use even our brokenness to rebuild us, remold us, remake us. And he's delegated to us the opportunity to work together. If you're in the process of rebuilding in your life, you need organization. Clearly defined tasks and roles. You need to have some way to spell out so people can see what it is we're accomplishing. No one wants the abstract that we mentioned. 
Here we even have Nehemiah listing not only the men, but the women who worked on the wall. Women. Folks, that's not so unheard of today as we have women who run major corporations and contracting firms, building institutions. They're building skyscrapers and towers all over the world. It's not that they don't have the ability. But back then, even the women, the families and children, we're told, worked together to rebuild. If you're going to be a leader, you've got to learn to delegate, and it happens when you have organization. Get things under control. Get things to be clearly seen. Know what the vision is. Know what the expectations are, and clearly define the tasks. We need you to be an elder in our church. You know what that role entails? Whatever needs to be done. We need you to be a deacon in our church. All that entails is whatever else needs to be done. And we need you to be faithful to help us accomplish our mission, whatever that becomes along the way. You see, that's unheard of. That makes no sense. When there's no clearly defined task and there's no organization, you can't bring people together, which is exactly the second point of what Nehemiah teaches us, that we have leaders in every area. We have people who are delegated over certain tasks. Do you have a task right now? If I were to give you a clearer vision of what it is, we need someone who can direct the fellowship ministries of our church. We need someone who can direct the stewardship ministries of our church. We need the ones who can direct not only the fellowship and stewardship, but our discipleship ministries that come about. We need not only discipleship, but we need the friendship ministries, and the deaconships need to have a chair. The eldership needs to have, the membership needs to be run down. I could give you the vision of organization that I began sharing with the elders I can begin to share with you the entire... But I don't need you to know it all. Do not I need you to know what it is God's called you to do and the one part he's asked you to fill. Oh, I can always tell you the very next step that Nehemiah teaches us from organization is coordination. You've got to be willing to work together. Too many people look at the world today or the church kind of like what James Montgomery Boyce had written one time when he said the church today is many times like a football game. We have 80,000 people out of shape in the stands that need exercise and 22 that need a break. That's what it looks like sometimes in our churches. I've done my duty. I've been here long enough. I just don't seem to fit. I've got too many other things on my plate. My job requires too much time. I just don't seem to have the energy and the the schedules don't seem to fit. Folks, just join the stands. Join the stands. But let's not have the gift of complaining or even complacency and then criticizing and critiquing the ones that are playing. Nehemiah says we need those in leadership who can delegate who know how to bring the organization and know how to bring about coordination. Picking the right people in the right place at the right time. That's what makes things successful. You place people where they need them. Benjamin, verse 23, and Hashem repaired opposite their house. He began to put people, and he realized, closest to their homes. If you had to work on the wall and you were right near your home, would you build it weak? If you're going to build the wall to keep the enemy out right next to your home, would you leave holes in it? Let me ask about your own neighborhood. 
when your neighbor starts building and painting their house, are you concerned what they're doing? Sometimes you have to ask, well, wait a minute, what they do to their house affects what? Mine. And you start putting up a fence in your yard. You want it to look nice. If you were painting your house, you want it to be the way you would take more time with what was yours. And Nehemiah knew coordination is the key. When people work with things the most dearest to their heart, they work harder and better. If God's gifted you with a special task this morning, you like activities, you like coordination, you like hospitality, you like counting the money, you like to be able to deposit it, keep up with the records, you like the debits and the credits. More so, you like teaching, you like the discipling, you like to be able to see others learning and you love that gift for it. Or maybe you like the hardship ministries because you want to see the people who are being fed. You want to see the people who aren't making their house pain. You want to see the people who smile when they've been taken care of. Folks, those are all part of our church. Nehemiah says if you're going to rebuild, you've got to be a great leader. And it starts with organization and then coordination. There is a job for everyone, gifted specifically by God. Goldsmiths, priests, women, bachelors, and the politicians side by side working together to accomplish the task before them. Let me ask you one of the hardest questions in life. Who are you working side by side with? Most people. Most men could say no one right now. I'm pretty much doing whatever I want by myself. Well, I'm glad you're happy, but you're not delegating, and therefore you're not discipling. And if you're not discipling, you're not doing what Jesus commanded you to do. You're not fulfilling the Great Commission. You're not doing what it is God has asked you to do. Because Jesus himself gave you the Great Commission when he said, Go ye therefore into all the world, baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And there was only one command. We call that the imperative in Greek. It was go and what? Make disciples. As you go making disciples, we'll baptize them in my name. Teach them in my name. Do all these things accordingly. But don't stop making disciples because, folks, that's a direct disobedience to God's command in your life. Gentlemen, if anything, at least take one of your children. Disciple them. If it's not your children, look in the neighborhoods, kids. Look for the kids your children are bringing home. Join the local soccer club. Get on the hockey league. Get in the lacrosse teams. Get on the church softball team. We might need you to be on the softball team. Wherever it is, folks, you should be discipling. Your pastime, your leisure time, the things you love to do are not times for you to say to God, well, this is my break time. I no longer have to disciple. You ought to be finding ways, even in our spare time, to have somebody learning something that God's given you to share with them. Coordination. Your time is the one element that will run out. Time is the one element that will run out. And you had better use your gifts, the talent that God has given you, and invest it wisely in discipleship. 
Your gifts will never end. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You'll never be separated from God. You'll never have to worry about God's glory. He will receive it. But you must worry about the time. There is a place for you. And no one else can do what it is God has asked you to do. But it's not just organization and coordination. Finally, I told you it was cooperation. Not just among the workers, but among the leader. Do you know when you look at the memoirs of Nehemiah, many people have made it clear that when you look at all that was accomplished by the people of God and what Nehemiah set out to accomplish, what had been laid rest in ruins for decades was put back together in a few short months. In the cooperation of leadership. Decades in ruin only took a few months to put back together. And we find it in the cooperation of Nehemiah in being a part of it. Write this down in cooperation. Dash with the leader. You see, what happens many times is we delegate and then we step out. We are no longer active in what's needing to be done. I've given my time, Pastor. I've taught Sunday school for years. I've served my terms as a deacon. I've been an elder. I've been on the grounds team. That's the one reason we have a green team in this church. Is when you've finished everything else, that's the last place you go. There's always room to cut grass. Yeah, Nehemiah teaches us how to coordinate as a leader. When Nehemiah puts his memoirs together, how many times do you see Nehemiah listed in all the things that were achieved? He gave the glory to God. He gave the glory to others. But he was there. We learn later on in chapters 4 and in chapter 6 that Nehemiah says, Us, we built the wall. Let us glorify God. He was there side by side. And if you're a great leader, you lead by example. You lead by example. You cooperate along in the tasks that were set out before you. I love being the senior pastor. Why? I get a list of jobs for everybody else to do, right? No. None of you would be excited if you found out that your pastor preached on Sundays, the only day of the week he works, and then went home and spent the rest of the time letting others serve him. Is that what we want? Is that what you want from your elders? That they show up once a month to have a meeting and then you never hear from them again? Is that how you see the deacons? That they're assigned a task and you don't have to worry about them anymore? You don't have to see them? See, that's not true. Leadership is done by the cooperation of the leaders in the ministry. People are needing someone to follow We're called sheep. We followed Christ. Gideon, Judges chapter 7, has a great analogy. One of the best types of leadership is when he's facing the Midianites. He's going into battle. He turns around in chapter 7 and he simply says this to his warriors. Do as I do. Jesus, in John chapter 13, gave an example of washing the feet in some places, serving others. He turned to the disciples and he simply said this. Do as I have done to you. Jesus is not asking us to do the things he's never done. He's never asked us 
to not be a part of what he's went through. If they tortured him, they'll torture us. If he went to the, some places, you should follow him. In the places of the need, you should be there. When he went to be persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. He was not willing to not cooperate with you. Organization, coordination, and a true leader is there in cooperation. Let me give you this real quickly. Do you think Jesus stepped back and is now stepped out? Do you think Jesus just let go and let up? Here this morning, I challenge you in leadership, listen to Christ's example. He called his disciples to what? Do you remember? Come be theologians. Come be pastors. Didn't even say come be leaders. He simply said come and follow. Come and watch me show you what's going to be done. So he led the way. When he called the people to, to, to follow, he led them to the cities of the periphery and the poor, to the needy. He led them to the outcast. He led them to the demon-possessed. He sent them after he led them to the mountain to pray. He brought them to the table where they shared, where he washed their feet. He brought them and showed them to the garden where he cries out to the Father. He led them down the Via Della Rosa. He led them to the cross to be crucified. He led the way to the grave to be buried and to be risen. He led the way to the throne of grace, to the doors of heaven. And he promises that he'll come again. That where he is, what? We can be also. What a leader. Someone who has learned to delegate through organization, coordination, and cooperation. Christ has called you this morning to be a worker in his kingdom. He's delegated you the task, the member within his body to accomplish the task. The task clearly set. Make disciples and listen to this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as where? That's your task. That's your discipleship. That's your great commission. It's a clear objective. We can never get out of it. We're to expand the kingdom's boundaries here on earth. We're to live the will of God. We're to bring him glory. And we're to watch people be brought to the Savior. Choosing the right person for the right job in the right time. And maybe this morning, for the first time, you feel God saying to you, you're the one. And this is the job. This is the place. And now's the time. If you remember, Isaiah simply said, here I am. Send me. Are you willing to be a leader? Godly leaders know how to delegate. Organization. Coordination and cooperation. And no matter how hard it gets, they know it's never too late to begin again. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you. Father, thank you for the memoirs of Nehemiah. Thank you for these people who so many have either never heard or even forgotten about. The names that are never mentioned again. The people who served faithfully for the task that you've given them. Not looking for recognition. Giving up their own positions and callings to serve together. Father, thank you for this Old Testament church in action. Lord, thank you for calling us to the ministry of discipleship. Forgive us where we have been disobedient. Forgive us for not doing what you've called us to do. Strengthen us. Help us through our weariness. Lord, give us a place on the wall. Assign us the task and let us work together for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You would receive the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, amen. Have a great Lord's Day.